Welcome to Rudy's Revelation. It's Sunday, April 10th. This week I'll be talking back to the Sunday Talking Heads on CBS Face the Nation, where Maggie Brennan interviews former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson, who comments on how the U.S. officials are preparing for a large surge of illegal immigrants at the southern border. Also be checking in on Sunday Morning Propaganda at our favorite feel-good feature news program, CBS Sunday Morning, where correspondent David Martin interviews Biden appointee, Ambassador at Large for Global Criminal Justice, Beth Van Schek, who discussed capturing Russian President Vladimir Putin over alleged war crimes. We'll also be tearing into the Sunday New York Times, showing how the newspaper continually mischaracterizes the truth to mislead the public. I'll be going over the weekend headlines all the next 30 minutes. But first, I'll be taking you back to school, giving you some historical context to frame this week's news narratives. The word of the day is incrementalism. Definition of incrementalism, a policy or advocacy of a policy of political or social change by degrees, gradualism. And the reason we talk about incrementalism is we're going to be talking about NATO today. And the expansion of NATO, but first, incrementalism... And this is from Ethics Unwrapped. Wrongdoers and people in general may never even realize that they are making a life-changing decision when they make small, unethical choices. But in truth, as philosopher Jonathan Glover says, incrementalism is how we slide into participation by imperceptible degrees so that there is never the sense of a frontier being crossed. This is from ThoughtCo, what is incrementalization? This is from ThoughtCo, what is incrementalism and government? Definitions and examples from Robert Longley, and this is from October 2020. Incrementalism in government and political science is a method of achieving sweeping changes in public policy through the enactment of small policy changes over time. To succeed, incrementalism, also known as gradualism, depends on mutual interaction, input, and cooperation among a multiplicity of individuals and groups representing different values and interests. Simply stated, the process of incrementalism may be expressed by the old axiom, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? From Free Dictionary, this is Fabianism, if people don't know, Fabianism is of or relating to the caution and avoidance of direct confrontation typical 
of the Roman general Quintus Fabius Maximus. So if you avoid direct confrontation, plain and simply, by moving in small incrementalism, Fabian was known to first encircle the camp and then move in slowly at a time through the means of attrition and also incrementalism. So we talked about Fabianism and Quintus Fabian, or Quintus Fabius, but some people don't know about the Fabian Society. Now, the Fabian Society is a British socialist organization whose purpose is to advance the principles of democratic socialism, or socialism in general, via gradualist and reformist efforts in democracies rather than by revolutionary overthrow. Fabian society was also historically related to radicalism, a left-wing liberal tradition. So here you have incrementalism done by the British Fabian society, a socialist group, and they advocate for installing socialism into countries and governments through incrementalism to avoid direct confrontation like the Roman general Quintus Fabius. Now, this is from History Channel. In 1949, the prospect of further communist expansion prompted the United States and 11 other Western nations to form the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, the Soviet Union and its, the Soviet Union and its affiliate communist nations in Eastern Europe founded a rival alliance, the Warsaw Pact, in 1955. The alignment of nearly every European nation into one of two opposing camps formalized a political division of the European continent that had taken place since World War II. This alignment provided the framework for military standoff that continued through the Cold War to 1991. This is from Wikipedia, the history of NATO. The history of NATO begins in the immediate aftermath of World War II when British diplomacy set the stage to contain the Soviet Union and to stop the expansion of communism, which is an ideology, a political ideology, in Europe. The United Kingdom and France signed in 1947 the Treaty of Dunkirk, a defensive pact which was expanded in 1948 with a Treaty of Brussels to add to the three Benelux countries, Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg, and committed them to collective defense against an armed attack from the Soviet Union for 50 years. The British worked with Washington to expand the Alliance into NATO in 1949, adding that the United States and Canada, as well as Italy, Portugal, Norway, Denmark, and Iceland, West Germany joined in 1955, and Spain later joined still in 1982. The structure of NATO evolved throughout the Cold War, which was against the U.S. against the Soviet Union, or the West against the Soviet Union. An integrated military structure for NATO was first established in 1950, as it became clear that NATO would need to enhance its defenses for the longer term against a potential Soviet attack. In April 1951, Allied Command Europe and its headquarters, SHAPE, were established later. Four subordinate headquarters were added in northern and central Europe and southern region and the Mediterranean. I'm not going to go too much more into that because that's the establishment of NATO. And this is from Forbes, how NATO expanded eastward. Now, keep in mind, this is from Forbes. And this is the lead here in this article by Katharina Bullschultz. 
As Russian troops gathered on the Ukraine border, European armed forces get into position and high-ranking politicians, including U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, visit the regions. Fears of a new major conflict arising in Europe are abound. And this is from January 19, 2022. Well, we all know there's been saber-rattling about Russia for God knows who long, how long, and Hillary Clinton even said she wanted to bomb Russia or enforce a no-fly zone over Syria. And this writer at Forbes goes on to say, while the tensions between Russia and its western neighbor are complex and longstanding, one issue at the heart of the problem has been Ukraine's declared aspiration to join NATO. The, Euro, the European North American Military, military alliance. While the country's bid to join date backs to 2008, it is not expected to be honored anytime soon. And this is what the press keeps saying. It's not going to be honored anytime soon. They just don't, you know, they don't rule it out. And that's the point that you have to kind of latch on to. The greater context of the tree's expansion from 12 founding members in 1949 to currently three predominantly European, 30, excuse me, predominantly European countries, chart an eastward course that has been inter interpreted as an affront to Vladimir Putin for a long time. In December, the Russian president has blasted the organization at his annual end-of-the-year press conference. Any further NATO movement to the east is unacceptable. Putin was quoted as saying, his demand of a formal ban of NATO expansions is not expected to be heeded, however. So this is from the Cato Institute, ignored warnings how NATO expansion led to the current Ukraine tragedy. History will show that Washington's treatment of Russia in the decades following the demise of the Soviet Union was a policy blunder of epic proportions. This is a commentary by Ted Carpenter, and this is from February 24th. Now, from NPR, even liberal NPR, says how NATO's expansion helped drive Putin to invade Ukraine by Becky Sullivan. Well, good for you, Becky. This isn't some sort of, this isn't rocket science. It's just people don't read. All they do is listen to the view, and this is what you get. Russian military fortune excuse me, Russian military forces and Russian-backed separatists have invaded Ukraine. The NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said NATO allies condemn in the strongest possible terms Russia's horrifying attack on Ukraine. With the invasion, the 30-year-old foreign policy debate has made a return to center stage. The question, should NATO, the mutual defense, it's a military organization, the mutual defense pact formed in the wake of World War II that has long served to represent Western interests and counter Russia's influence in Europe expand eastward, should it? It wasn't formed. It says formed here. It wasn't formed to counter Russia's influence in Europe. It was formed against the communist ideology of the Soviet Union as a deterrence, and also their military aggression thereof. So this article here by NPR is, is trying to blatantly misinform you. So this is from Vox, how, many, how America's NATO expansion obsession plays into the Ukraine crisis. It plays into the Ukraine crisis. It's not the cause. Of course, it's not the cause. It's like the causes of inflation are definitely not out-of-control spending. 
So the lead in this story here from Vox, from uh, John, uh, Jonathan Gruer, when tens of thousands of Russian troops started moving toward the Ukraine border late last year, Russian President Putin effectively used an ultimatum. We won't go home until he had concrete, in writing, agreements prohibiting any further eastward expansion of NATO. I'm not going to get any more into this. That's from Vox, from ABC News. NATO rules out any halt to expansion. They, it, they won't negotiate it. NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg says Russia can have no say over who should be allowed to join the military organization. So they're just disregarding another country's security concerns. Many predicted NATO expansion would lead to war. Those warnings were ignored. This is from The Guardian. Less than 3% of you people read So I'm going to leave you with the reading recommendations, um, The Spoils of War, Power, Profit, and the American War Machine. And the reasons you have to get into this is because uh, the American war machine can only be understood in terms of the private passions and interests of those who control it. Principally a passionate interest in money. Thus, the author, Andrew Cockburn, reports Washington expanded NATO to satisfy an arms manufacturer's urgent financial requirements. The U.S. Navy's Pacific Fleet deployments were for years dictated by a corrupt contractor who bribed high-ranking officers with cash and prostitutes. Senior main commanders agreed to a troop surge in Afghanistan in 2017 for budgetary reasons. One more reading recommendation. Uh, this is a little more serious. Uh, NATO expansion, um, a Miller Center series on a new world order in this book by Kenneth, to uh, excuse me, Kenneth Thompson. The fourth volume of the Miller Center series on the New World Order examines the core questions that could be raised about NATO expansion. The book relies on the theory that for NATO expansion to work, member states must be able to reconcile their own interests and policies with the more general interests of the larger group. For this premise, NATO expansion seeks to debate the reasons for and against the expansion of NATO membership based on the Clinton administration's policies. Part one, the case for NATO expansion sets forth the major challenges confronting the United States since the Madrid summit of July 1997 and provides an overview of NATO expansion movement from inside the policy planning staff at the Department of State. And then the second part goes into um, supporting views and questions, uh, leading analysis of defense and foreign policy who offer supporting views of NATO expansion, but raise questions on concept and implementation. And then part three, the case for delay. So all these cases in this book, NATO expansion and the new world order, are favorable for NATO expansion because it's under the Clinton administration who started it. I get right into the news. Uh, this Politico finance, a sour and angry America poised to punish Dems this fall. Biden and his top advisors know that the window to change the economic narrative through executive a action is rapidly closing. China is accelerating its nuclear buildup over rising fears of U.S. conflict. Beijing believes the U.S. could turn to nuclear weapons in a war. Ukraine invasion underscores the value of a robust arsenal. Uh, people don't understand is that China always had nuclear weapons. They're always building on them. This is just a bit of propaganda, a little saber rattling for China. Um, of course they are, because they are going to take back Taiwan uh, sooner than later. But they just have to gauge how difficult it's going to be.
It's all Sun Tzu bullshit. I mean, Sun Tzu is really bullshit, but if you know anything about uh, strategy and tactics, if you read Sun Tzu, you'll know what's happening. Uh, Associated Press, uh, in outcome of Whitmer case, some see freedom, others see dangers. Of course, this is painted by the AP as some sort of, um, you know, it's obviously a win for the right. And if people didn't know... Uh, it was basically the kidnap case uh, for the governor of Michigan, um, Whitmer, Gretchen Whitmer. Um, none of the people were guilty because they were all entrapped because most of the people that were conducting the alleged plot were FBI agents and informants. This is from the Bellingham Herald. Ominous clouds seen over Alaska sparks conspiracies. What's the official explanation? Um, I could tell you right now, this is a secret, uh, it might be weather weapon, but to me, the way it seems to me, it's, it's something, uh, plunging towards earth and it is either a secret weapon, more likely it was a, a, a spy plane or something like that. It's some, has, it has something to do with Russia right now probing, uh, the defenses of Alaska. So this is either a shoot down or some sort of weather weapon uh, uh, going, moving to be deployed. Um, everybody should be really afraid of what this is. Uh, it could be a chemical weapon. It could be a biological weapon. Uh, we don't really know what it is, but I think it's uh, related to um, global tensions, and it is obviously some sort of uh, undeployed, as of yet, until now, um, weapon system, obviously. Obvious weapon system. From France 24, Twitter stakeholder Elon Musk tweets, is Twitter dying? Now, this is back from the 4th. I think this is even last week. Um, we all know that uh, Elon Musk bought a stake in Twitter. He now has a place on the board. You know, is, is he going to save Twitter? Good luck. I, I, I don't really care if he saves Twitter or not. I mean, any victory is a victory for free speech. Uh, as long as we have somebody fighting for free speech, that's fine. Um, I don't give a shit about Twitter. There's so many other alternatives now that people should move away from any monopoly. Even if you like the product or the service, as soon as it becomes a, monopol a monopolistic, you should move away from it and, and support any startups. You know, it's the David and Goliath thing. You know, when whatever you like or are part of grows too big, you got to move over to the little guy. Help the poor. From the Wall Street Journal, in Africa, U.S.-trained militaries are ousting civilian governments in coups. Insurrections are disrupting American security strategy in the region and giving Russia an opening to gain way. Okay, so Michael Phillips here from the 9th, he, um, <laughs> he pens this thing as some sort of, oh, it's an affront to uh, the U.S. by Russia. This is what, I mean, just read the headlines, and it goes on to say, U.S. trained militaries are ousting civilian governments in coups. That's all you really have to know from there. And it's, it's the same thing that's happening in Ukraine right now as well. Right now, or since 2014, the United States and NATO has had military trainers in Ukraine. This is really, if you really knew what was going on, this is really the problem here um, that... Uh, that uh, the U.S. has had military and probably a special forces fighting Russians uh, in the east and around. All this is uh, Putin refers to this conflict as a 
a proxy war between Russia and the West. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, it, to convince yourself of anything else is um, is disingenuous. You have to understand that uh, <laughs> Russia is defending itself. It in the Soviet Union, it it enjoyed robust defense, and it has slowly been chipped away at through incrementalism. Um, to actually threaten, and now they only have two buffer states or a few buffer states left, and this is unfortunately something uh, that uh, isn't won't be tolerated uh, by the Russians, and that's why you see this heinous act of them attacking Ukraine. As far as they're concerned, it's it's their survival because between the pressure uh, NATO military could put on the Black Sea Fleet. And the fact that intelligence listening posts right up to the Russian border is just unacceptable. This is from the Denver Post. Colorado GOP embraces election conspiracy theories and nominations for Secretary of Senate, of State in the Senate. The GOP assembly and convention took place Saturday in Colorado Springs. Um, Every time someone mentions conspiracy theory, you should just go, that could possibly be true. It's the old adage, what if? What if it was actually the opposite of what people were saying? You should play that game because that's the reality. The the reality is the lie is so egregious that it's actually the opposite of what people are telling you. From the New York Post, China leading citizens to jump from balconies in quest to achieve zero COVID policy. Now, everybody's probably seen the video now also of people shouting out of the high rises that most of the uh, residents are locked into during this lockdown of Shanghai, uh, one of China's biggest cities. They're just testing severe lockdown, and and they'll be bringing it here because what will happen if you want to look into the future is they'll go, look, we stopped COVID by locking everybody down, and then they're going to try to adopt that here. They already did it in Australia. From Reuters, jury acquits two men in Michigan governor kidnapping case, dreadlocks, oh, excuse me, deadlocks, and two others. I'll read that headline again in this article by Tyler Clifford. Jury acquits two men in Michigan governor kidnapping case, deadlocks on two others. So two people got acquitted, and the other two had a mistrial. Uh, these people aren't going to be guilty because they're stunads that were uh coaxed into doing this by the FBI. And that's how the FBI catches all their quote-unquote terrorists is most of the stuff is manufactured, whether it's Ruby Ridge or Brant Davidian or, or anything else for that matter. Florida teachers protect trans kid shirt prompts parent complaints. This is from MSN. A Florida teacher's shirt has stirred controversy among some parents as educators continue to grapple with the state's new parental rights and education law, informally known as the Don't Say Gay Bill. Um, the bill doesn't say gay. We know this. And you could, you, as far as I'm concerned, you should be able to wear a shirt. From Politico, judge issues first outright acquittal of January 6th riot defendant. The defendant claimed that he thought police allowed him into an entrance near the Capitol Rotunda. This has happened over and over again. This is political persecutions. 
Um, I hope everybody gets acquitted because I don't care if you went in there, if you did not commit a crime other than if you committed a crime other than trespassing, fine. But trying to stitch this all together uh, is bullshit. It's not realistic. I mean, most of the people who were there were there to protest and a lot of people protest and it is the people's house. So you could probably go inside as a protest. It's been done other places where state capitals have been entered by protesting groups to, to occupy. Uh, as long as they do it peacefully from Politico Stoltenberg, NATO planning large permanent military presence on eastern border of Ukraine. They're already planning uh this is just the jump-off point. They're already planning to move into Ukraine if this conflict is finished. But we know what it's all going to end up as. Uh, nuclear war over Crimea. Because NATO is going to try to take back the Crimea and eastern Ukraine uh, in a war against Russia, and that's going to end very, very badly. Turn to the New York Times, first article up uh an Australia homecoming mixed with yearning and trepidation. When Fortress Australia, this is even the New York Times calling it Fortress Australia, sealed its borders, thousands of citizens were stuck abroad. When allowed to return home, a reporter wondered how she would find the country and how it would find her. And so this is talking about Isabella Kwai. Now, she goes on to write, um, my family reunion this year and many thousands of similar reunions across Australia had been difficult to realize until November. That was when Australia announced an about face and strategy with high enough vaccination rates <clears throat> to withstand an Omicron surge. Fortress Australia was lowering the drawbridge and reopening its borders to citizens and permanent residents, allowing an unlimited Number of homecomings for the first time since the coronavirus pandemic began. That's for two years. So the problem here is they mask this with some out of joy of reunion, and they don't point out the severe restrictions and how ridiculous the restrictions would be uh, due to the low case prevalence in Australia that adopted a zero uh, COVID strategy as China did. Uh, these things don't work, and they were proven because... Um, if you want to be free, uh, you have to live with uh, pathogens. And if you're worried about a pathogen, then protect yourself, but don't try to protect society. With Macron and Le Pen leading election field, a fractured France decides, and Dijon, a magnificent and malaise, sit side by side in the image of a country divided by uh, before the presidential vote on, on Sunday. This is an article by Roger Cohn. Um, in this strange atmosphere, overshadowed by Russian invasion of Ukraine, I don't know what that has to do with it, President Emmanuel Macron, a centrist, he's a leftist, holds a slight lead over Marine Le Pen, the hard right uh, nationalist, according to the latest polls, but his comfortable advantage of more than 10 percentage points has evaporated over the past month as his dismissal of the debate and a failure to engage have irked voters. Disagreement and delay, how infighting over the border divided the White House. And here you have left and right also being argued out over the border. The Biden administration has fiercely debated how and whether to unravel Trump-era immigration policies. Well, of course, they. that's one of the first things Biden did. He had only been in office 
two months, and there were already a crisis at the southwest border. Thousands of migrant children were jammed into unsanitary border patrol stations. uh, Republicans were accusing Mr. Biden of flinging flinging open the borders, and his aides were blaming one another. Um, this is basically the the tenor of the whole article is the fact is that they're trying to blame each other uh, for the crisis they created. And we're going to leave you in the op-ed pages of the Sunday New York Times with uh, David Brooks. Oh, my God. Globalization is over. The global culture wars have begun. And his case is uh, Mr. Brooks. Um, We call this process a convergence of globalization. It was, first of all, an economic and technological process about growing trade and investment between nations and the spread of technologies that put Wikipedia instantly at our fingertips. But globalization was also political, social, and a moral process. So I'm not going to go into this lengthy uh, op-ed piece here. This fits in with an academic theory that has been floating around called modernization theory. The idea was that nations developed, they would become more like us in the West and the ones that had already modernized. The fact is he tries to make this a non-progressive argument. He, he avoids, he talks about technology and democracy and all these things, and he briefly glosses over the fact that traditionalists around the world wanting to uh, adhere to their traditional cultures are skeptical of the new world order, globalization. All right, we're going to leave you with the talking head, starting out with Maggie Brennan, who talks to Jay Johnson. Now, Jay Johnson was former Homeland Security uh, Secretary under the Obama administration, and they talk about Title uh, 42 being removed and how it's going to lead to a surge in uh, illegal immigration. And the only thing they talk about is how the the government are going to deal with these people. And they're going to, well, we're going to put it on buses. And are the agencies ready to receive? It's like you're receiving house guests. Are we ready for a massive increase of migrants? No! As we enter peak migration season, the CDC is planning to lift Title 42. That's a pandemic-era policy that restricts asylum-seeking migrants, potentially causing a huge surge at the border. When we hear from the administration that they could see as many as 18,000 migrants per day crossing that border, uh, it seems incredible. There are resources, transportation in place for this. What? this level of of migration on our southern border. But still, numbers at these level are uh, difficult to handle uh, on the southern border, communities on the southern border, difficult to absorb these types of numbers. And obviously, the the Biden administration uh, is is paying a a political cost. Yes. This pandemic era restriction, Title 42, it's getting peeled back May 23rd. It coincides with the peak migration season. Why wasn't there any coordination within the administration to maybe, I don't know, push it a few months? You idiot! Uh, I would have argued uh, that we should keep it in place just a little while longer till perhaps July when these numbers do tend to slow down in the hotter weather. You're correct that March, April, May tend to be the peak seasons for migration on our southern border. Uh, I heard the current secretary the other day say at present uh, they have something like 7,000 a day. That's a, that's a high number. 
Should there be um, vaccination at the border that is mandated? I mean, if what do you have to say quite clearly? Don't come. Yes, I can say quite clearly. Don't come. Do not come. Why haven't we heard anything like that now? I, I, I have learned that you have to repeat a message dozens and dozens of times before people actually do begin to to hear it. Don't come. Do not come. Don't come. Don't come. Don't come. Do not come. Migration is a market-sensitive phenomenon. It reacts sharply to news in the information marketplace about enhanced enforcement, decreased enforcement on our southern border. Um, we can repeat these messages uh, over and over again, and we should. Don't come. Do not come. Don't come. Don't come. Don't come. <laughs> What? Are we ready for a massive increase of migrants? No! 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 Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> Are we 1.7 million last year? We're already almost at a million. Nobody wants this. Nobody wants this except the politicians and the corporations. All right, next up is um, David Martin who together with um, this woman, the Biden appointee ambassador at large for uh, global criminal justice, Beth Van Shake. Ukraine's President Zelensky is demanding world leaders mount a swift response to Friday's train station attack on civilians in eastern Ukraine. He called the attack yet another example of false flag operations. More than 50 innocent people trying to flee the fighting killed in a Russian missile attack on a crowded train station. A Russian missile attack. Among the first responders, investigators gathering evidence to determine if this is a war crime. War is full of unspeakable violence, and civilians always suffer. We're seeing a pattern of deliberate attacks against civilians. Ambassador Beth Van Schock is the State Department official in charge of assembling evidence that could prove Russia is committing war crimes in Ukraine. So how do you distinguish between a war crime and just atrociously bad behavior? What we need to do is focus on deliberate attacks against civilians or indiscriminate attacks against civilians. What? Those are clear war crimes. Not There's no fog of war here. Right. If you look at a map, for example, of Maripol, you can see where the military objectives might be, which would be appropriate targets for a military campaign. What? And then you see where the actual strikes were happening. This is close-range violence committed by, at the hands of Russia's forces. Bodies are being left in the street. They seem to be doing this in, in an unbelievably brazen way that's, that's really shocking. So who do you go after first? You're always looking to go up the chain of command to the architects of this terrible violence. You saw what happened in Rukka. This warrants him, he is a war criminal. How do you make a case against Putin? Do you need some kind of verbal direction that he gave to his commanders? Even without the so-called smoking gun order, there is still this idea of command responsibility that the images are so stark, it's so clear that his troops are running amok, um, terrorizing the civilian population within Ukraine. Will Vladimir Putin ever be indicted for war crimes? I think he will be indicted. An indictment of Putin would make the president of Russia an international fugitive. He is inevitably now trapped in Russia. He will never be able to travel internationally because it would be too great a risk that he would be captured and brought before a, a court of law. They get identified and then the law enforcement is activated and we are never more integrated than we are now. Ah! Wake up! Wake up!
Yeah. You can't take them seriously. It's all about uh, demonization and provocation. So uh, it's an old agiprop. You provoke someone into a reaction, and then when they react, you demonize them. Real, real simple. It's all part of incrementalization and plausible deniability. All right, we'll see you next week. Rudy's Revelation. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. And check me out on Twitter and Getter. Parlor Minds. We'll see you next week. Rudy's Revelation. <laughs>